Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Each week, we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. And today, we're talking about when to and when not to leave your job. You see, the pandemic has made us think a lot more clearly and critically about the other parts of our job which don't involve salary, work-life balance, mental health, job satisfaction, and long-term career objectives. And generally speaking, lots of people are actually now joining what has become known as the Great Resignation, where people are now leaving their jobs in search of something better suiting to their needs and goals. That probably sounds insane to many of you listening because in the media industry, we're very used to highly competitive job openings, low paying roles, and especially true during the pandemic, a lucky to be employed mentality combined with fears over job security. So if you aren't quite happy in your role, but unsure what to do now, we've got an expert joining us today who will walk you through how to assess your goals, weigh up your options and put a plan in place today. We'll chat to Mark Hirschberg, an instructor at MIT and the author of The Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. He's an all-round expert on career planning and his advice today will help you get your career on track. All of that's coming up, but first, let me tell you about our sponsor, Memberful. This journalism.co.uk podcast is supported by Memberful, which is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience. You can monetize your fantastic newsletters through Memberful with no need to connect to a third-party email provider. Try it for free on memberful.com, where you can also take up pro and premium plans to really start cranking up and customizing your membership offering. Mark, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Can you give our listeners a snapshot of what your working situation looks like at the moment? I'm primarily working from home for the CTO consulting. For the speaking, it had, of course, been very virtual, but now I'm getting back into offices and universities and events uh, where I'm seeing people in person. I'm very grateful to see, even if not smiling faces, uh, masked faces, but still I can see them face to face. There wasn't much of a culture shock when the, when we went into this pandemic then and everyone had to revert to computers. That was almost another day in the office for you then. For those of us in the tech industry, I was doing calls, cross-continental calls way back in 2002. So it just got easier over the years, but I was very used to it. What makes that process smoother, you think, just in your experience? The key thing, and this is really true for all sorts of different industries, is you have to recognize we are in the information business. Those of us in white-collar jobs, in offices, our job is to think about how information flows, the reports I have to generate, the meetings we have to have, the questions that get answered. And I always advise managers, think about how information flows in your office. Once you understand this, you understand how people need to engage, what meetings you need to have, when you need to use email, etc. Yeah. And this is, this is super interesting because the pandemic in, and our shift to maybe hybrid or virtual models has pulled into context how important communication is when when running an organization. What we're also seeing, and I know you've written lots about this, is the great resignation as well. Mark, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Here in the US, and I think we're seeing it overseas as well, is what we're calling the great resignation. The number of people who are leaving their jobs has greatly increased. Now, we saw some of that at the beginning of the pandemic, where people were leaving because they needed to stay home. They were worried about being in, in the office place. But today, now that we're getting through the pandemic, 
we still see a lot of turnover. In fact, these were some folks who said at the start of the pandemic, I don't want to leave. I'm worried. Who knows what's going to happen? So let me just stay where I am. But now it's been a year and a half. Some of it is probably just pent up demand. Someone who might have changed jobs last year, but didn't want to do so in the middle of a storm. But then others are saying, what do I want these days? People are happy to sit in their job, but we had this massive wake up. We're saying, is this a job that makes me happy? Do I want to keep doing this? And that might have to do, in a few cases, it's pay, but that's not the largest motivating factor. It's factors like, do I want to go into the office? A lot of people want to get a flexible schedule and not be back in the office five days a week. For some, it's a type of culture and support. If their companies didn't give them a lot of support during the pandemic, they're saying, my company doesn't care about me. Why am I killing myself for this company? I want to go find a better opportunity. So we're seeing a lot of changes, not simply for more money, but for culture and office environment. Mark's point here is an important one. Pre-pandemic, some of you might have gotten cold feet at your jobs, but were kind of seeing it out for the time being. That could be due to unfulfilled ambition or perceived poor company culture. Either way, when the pandemic hits, there was an immediate real need to just stay put because you've got bills and rent to pay for. But now, as time has gone on and jobs have returned to some sort of stability, our cold feet have returned because the virtual work setup has only made things like lack of internal support more glaring, or because being at home has made us think more about our own productivity and long-term development. Back to Mark. People are starting to say, what do I want out of life? And often when I coach people and teach career plans, I talk about don't think about just your job, think about your life and your job fits into that. People are starting to ask that question on a wide scale. Is this job making me happy in my life and not just providing that paycheck? And that's probably the link into the pandemic then because our working life and our home life have just become so much closer as well. Certainly it has. We've reevaluated what makes me happy. (laughs) And recognize different people, by the way, work at jobs for different reasons. Some people do it for the paycheck. And certainly we, we all do all these things for some reasons. We all need that paycheck. But some, it's, it's just about the money, and they will kill themselves in a job they hate if it pays enough money. Other people like the mission of the job. Others like the nature of work. Others even like the community environment in the office. And so depending on what you got, that dynamic, that payout, may now be different post-pandemic. The one thing I can't get my head around is this awakening that people are realizing, you know, is this making me happy? Can I find happiness somewhere else? Is this a good or bad thing? I think it's a good thing. Now, in the short term, I think, unfortunately, too many people are just saying, well, I don't like where I am. The grass is greener. And they're jumping without really thinking through, wait a second, what is greener really? Do I want greener grass? Maybe I don't even want grass, right? Maybe I want something different. Maybe I want AstroTurf. Maybe I want pavement. But I don't want to be where I am. So people need to ask the questions where do I want to be? Not just, I don't want to be here. You want to go towards something, not just away from something. But what I'm hoping is that this is not just temporary and that especially younger generations, people in their 20s and even high school and younger students who grew up watching this will start to say, I want more out of my job than just a steady paycheck. And we can finally have people focused on what makes them happy in life. Talk to me about that self-reflection then. What are kind of the questions that people should be asking themselves right now to see if they truly are 
experiencing job satisfaction and they're happy with what they're doing. Start with your life satisfaction. What do you want out of life? When you look back, when you retire, when you're on your deathbed, what do you want to have accomplished? Most of that won't be job related. It will be things like family and travel and hobbies, friends, enjoyment. Make sure your job supports all that. What type of lifestyle do you want? Do you want a very nine to five? I show up to the office, do my work, go home and I am done versus no, I like flexibility. Do you want a job that involves lots of travel? Do you want a job where you say, no, I, I know I show up at the same place every day. I don't even have to see new people. I don't like new people. I'm an introvert. Understand these needs, understand the circumstances of your life and environment that you want. And now how do I find that job that meets those needs? I think you said something super interesting, which was kind of people need to know when to jump, basically, not just jumping when they think the grass is greener. They need to be able to basically size up that there is something for them to jump into. Correct? Very true. And when people really think about their careers, the right way to think about this is as a giant project. I always talk to people and say, would you ever do a two-year project at your company? a critical, important two-year project and say, well, this is really big, but let's not do a schedule. Let's not do a timeline or a budget or any planning whatsoever. Let's just wing it. That, of course, is insanity. We all say, no, no, we're going to create a plan. We know we're not going to follow that plan exactly. Things will change, but we're going to have a plan and we'll adjust the plan as we go. Your career is the big critical project and it's a lot more than two years. Not having a plan means you're just winging it. So by having a plan, and your plan is going to be fuzzier the further out you get, by having this plan, you can say, you know what, this job that I'm in right today, it's taking me off the plan. If it's a little off the plan, okay, that, that happens. But if it's really going in a different direction, you say, you know what, this is not where I want to be going. I realize my plan, I want to go in this direction. I need to find a job that's going to take me in that direction. And so now you have a rubric by which you can measure this job versus other opportunities to find what's best. Very, very interesting. I think somewhere in your writing as well, I've, I've, I've definitely seen you say employees have the upper hand right now as well, and, and perhaps we don't think we do. Can you touch on that a little bit too? I think that's certainly true. We've seen, of course, over the past hundred or so years, labor versus management, who has the upper hand. And during recessions, of course, we're all desperate for jobs, management does. Right now, in the US, there is a massive shortage of labor. And we certainly see that in the UK as well. Everything from lorry drivers up through, I'm sure, IT, they are desperately trying to hire. So that gives a lot more leverage to employees. And employees should start asking questions, not just, okay, how much does this job pay? But questions like, what's the culture like? Do you listen to your employees? Can you give me an example of something employees have suggested that you've acted on? Tell me about how you support people in their career growth. So start to say, I'm not just looking for a job. I am looking for a fit. And if you do it right, what you're signaling is not, well, I'm just being demanding. You're saying, no, I really want a fit. Or it's kind of like when you date, you say, hey, listen, I'm interested in, in having kids down the road. If someone says, no, I don't want any kids. You go, oh, glad we talked about this. That was not a fit. When you're talking about things like company culture or what's your work from home policy, work from home five years ago was, you sound lazy. Work from home now, right? Like, oh, okay, yeah, right. That's a reasonable question we all ask. So people are going to start asking more of these questions and you won't 
convey as much of a negative signal, hopefully no negative signal, when you ask these questions. As more of us ask questions, companies will realize this is more commonplace. That's That pushback is really interesting, and, and I really want to touch on that sort of, you know, further, further down the line here. But I'm really interested in how you think this applies to the media industry quite specifically, which is certainly over the last 18 months, two years almost, has experienced um, widespread job insecurity, lots of job layoffs, um, this widespread feeling of I'm really lucky to be employed, really. How do you kind of feel like this this feeling of this great resignation applies to the media industry specifically? Great question, because we've talked about this in general. But as you look from one field to another, there are differences. My field of technology, there have been labor shortages for years. And anyone working in tech has known, even before this this period, they could find a new job in a matter of days. There's just such demand. Unfortunately, for the fourth estate, it has just been a shrinking labor pool, which I personally see as very unfortunate for democracy because it's such an important institution to, to keep democracy going. But the way to look at is to really change your perspective. I realize this is easier said than done. I teach negotiations. And one thing that we talk about negotiating is if you feel you only have one option and it's not great, you get desperate. You say, oh, oh, thank God. Yes, please. Thank you for that. I am so glad to have any crumb you will give me. On the other hand, if you say, look, I've got six different opportunities. Why should I take yours? Come on, sell me, make it better right? You're not as desperate and you can hold out and say, I'm going to get the best thing I can. Now, unfortunately, people felt, oh, I'm just lucky to get a job, as you mentioned. So they will settle and they will take what they can get. So how do you look at getting more opportunities? And oftentimes when we teach negotiating, it's not just, well, find another buyer, but it's can you create more different types of creative opportunities? So here we need to go from, well, can I work at this big media outlet to that big media outlet to, okay, there are some media outlet options. They might be few and far between, but there's a lot more opportunity to generate media. And we've seen obviously the growth of podcasts and blogs and video channels and social media. Now it's true. These don't inherently today, you can't say, oh, I've got a podcast. I'm going to make lots of money. True. As you know well, it's long, hard work, but the paths are there, and we're going to continue to see different means of monetization. Certainly, as these particular groups gain more market share, TV had lots of money because we all watch TV. Now we spend less time on TV because some of us are listening to podcasts, and it has not been as easy to monetize that because it was easy for a large beverage company to write a very big check to two or three TV stations to advertise. It's harder for that beverage company to write thousands of small checks to lots of different tiny blogs and podcasts. As that infrastructure gets built, it will be easier to monetize the content being produced by individual producers. So I would encourage folks to look at alternative means of media, other ways to produce content. And yeah, it's going to be hard, but if you can form Kiretsus, this is a Japanese word for a family of companies, you can form these groups, find other people in the media industry who are doing their own blogs and podcasts and content creation and find ways to work together, support each other, share ideas with each other, techniques that you've learned, things that work, 
and help support each other, it gets much easier. That's very interesting because we've definitely heard that across a community of independent sort of journalists and entrepreneurs who have their own blogs and podcasts and Substack newsletters and this kind of thing. And there really is a togetherness and a camaraderie in the in those kind of communities that you speak to. Coming to your point on asking probing questions of a workplace, you know, if you're in the media industry, which is insanely competitive, you kind of don't want to do that a little bit because it might make you seem like you're a difficult fit or, you know, somehow difficult to work with, I guess. How do you ask those kind of important questions of a workplace without disrupting the balance and being seen like a, a difficult fit for the company? A lot of it comes down to how you phrase it. So if we go back to that dating question of, hey, do you want kids? It's obvious this is an important question at some point you should talk about. Maybe not, hi, nice to meet you. My name is Mark. By the way, do you want kids? You know, that's not the right time or place for that question. As you get towards the end of the interview process, as you're getting down to, hey, there's mutual interest here, then you're looking for, okay, I get I'll be a journalist. This is what I'm covering. This is what you'll pay. But you're signaling, I want to make sure this is a good fit and talk about, What's the workplace culture like? Talk about, by the way, how do you as a manager like to work? And this is something all managers should do, but very few do. Explain to those you are hiring and those who work for you how you like to work. What do I mean by this? Some people prefer send me an email so I can read it and think about it. Others say, no, no, come talk to me face to face. I want to discuss it with you. Some people, and in my job where I make lots of decisions, there are some managers who say, look, I am really busy. Just say, hey, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Any objection? Great. Thanks. Others say, no, come to me and say, here's the problem. Here are three options because I, the manager, want to choose. And of course, we know like, okay, I'm going to bring you some Goldilocks examples here. I'm going to bring you, you know, this, this option is too risky. This option's too conservative. And this one's just right. But I'm going to give you three because I know you as a manager, you'd like to make the decision. You feel left out if I don't give it to you. So as a manager, if you understand how you like to communicate, when, what that decision-making process is like, you can help your employees better engage with you. It could even be something as simple as, for me, when I first walk in in the morning, I'm not a morning person. Don't hit me up at 9 a.m. Like I can't think about big ideas at that time. Get me in the afternoon. I'm just trying to ease into my day and catch up on email. Let me have my coffee first. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so the more we as managers can communicate this, the more we can have a successful relationship with our employees. So recognizing this, if both sides recognize it, we say, you know, there are these other things we should talk about. Now, knowing when your manager has your coffee isn't going to change whether you take a particular job, but understanding are you more of a discuss things in person? You want me in the office versus I can just send you emails may impact how much time you spend in the office, which might be important to the type of job you want. So having these conversations, but saying it in a way of, I want to understand how to be successful in this role, as opposed to, well, I'm judging if you're worth it. You can create a more positive interaction as you discuss these topics. I also wonder, for the benefit of the managers and newsroom leaders listening in, is it actually a desirable skill to have someone on your team who pushes for better work conditions or is happy to ask difficult questions of the workplace? Is that preferable to someone who is just happy to take the crumbs on the table and accept whatever is given? 
if you are asking to understand so you can foster a better relationship, so you can better fit in. In fact, if you ask it such as, tell me a little about the culture, because I want to make sure when I show up on day one, I can adjust my style to best fit into this work culture. Now you're saying, I want to know about the culture to do a better job, to do what you, the manager, wants for me. So when we frame it in a way of, I'm asking not out of, I care for my needs, but I'm asking because this will create success. That is something every manager should appreciate. Assertiveness is desirable if it's, you know, um, invested properly and, and with the right kind of end game in place in mind. Absolutely. Mark, I would love it if you could give our audience maybe a couple of actionable tips that they could go and think about today um, to really flesh out their career plans. What, what would be your top couple of tips? When you think about your career plan, start with some of the questions we talked about. Ask yourself other questions. I actually have a list of questions you can download from my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com on the resources page. Free download. Look at those questions. Start to think about answers to those questions today, but also in five, 10 years down the road. Don't worry if you can't answer them all or can't think about the future. Just start thinking about it today. Second, you want to talk to everyone you can about their careers, their jobs. Certainly do so with people in journalism and media in general, but even talk to people in other areas. Ask questions like, why did you pick this field? What do you like about it? What don't you like? What do you wish you had known when you entered the field? Where do you think this field is going in the next five or 10 years? And this is gonna help give you feedback. Talk through what you learn with people in your Koretsu. Talk through people in your network to get their ideas and share these ideas and get go deeper as you discuss them. And then think about creating that plan and think of it like a project plan. Now it's going to be more concrete in the near term. It's gonna be fuzzier in the long term. You know what you're doing the next year, maybe two, what you're gonna work on. Five to 10 years out, you have some idea and recognize it's okay to change that plan. You definitely will. So don't feel, oh, I created the plan, I'm stuck with it. That's a big hang up for most people. So create that plan but check back every six or 12 months and revise the plan as you go. What is the correct way to actually leave? First, if you are worried about being able to leave, the way to find a job is to look for it two years before you need it. Oh, This is a mistake people make when they think about networking because they think, oh, I need a new job, time to network. So I'm gonna go look, hi, nice to meet you. Hey, do you have a job? Well, let's think about this. If you need someone to help you move your, from your flat, someone to help you carry down that couch, someone to pack up all your stuff, is it going to be the guy you met at the pub last Thursday? Or is it going to be your friend from school who you've known for 15 years? Right? We ask bigger favors from people we know because they are more likely to say yes because you have that relationship. When it comes time to find a job, hi, stranger, you have a job? Oh, yeah, I think my company's hiring sure, I'll pass on our resume and say, here's a stranger I met. Versus, hey, this is my buddy from college. I've known him for 10 years. He is fantastic. He's very in thorough. And this is something we really want on our team, right? That's a much better endorsement. So first, I would say, improve your capabilities of finding a new job by developing your network today, even if you don't need the job today. Networking is something we should always be doing each and every day. Now, when it comes to you do need that job, you want to get somewhere else, you don't necessarily have something lined up. 
at that point, that's when you start actively tapping your network from just, hey, I've met people over the years, we keep in touch, to starting to put the word out and being creative. Don't just focus on, well, only people within the media industry because you never know about someone. First, someone whose brother-in-law just joined some company that needs someone with your skills, even though the guy you know, the guy with the brother-in-law, has nothing to do with your industry. But then also by being exposed to other areas, you never know where it's going to go. Podcasting was something that didn't exist 10 years ago. No one had heard of it. Now it's commonplace. And 10 years from now, we'll probably see a lot more revenue flowing through it. So we want to set ourselves up across a diverse portfolio of fields so we can be ready when one of them starts to take off and there are more opportunities in that area. Very interesting. And if kind of everyone around you is joining in this great resignation, do you join the bandwagon or panic or stop and think? What would be your or advice? Well, there's the advice our mothers all gave us. You know, if everyone else jumped off the bridge, would you do that too? When you have your career plan, you say, well, this is where I want to go. Does it make sense for me to stay at this job or to resign? And now you have a way to evaluate which option is better for you. So you don't have to be part of the herd and just run wherever the other animals go. You can think for yourself and you can create a path that works best for you. And in the interests of networking and connections, how can our audience uh, get in touch with you? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And there you can get in touch with me. You can follow me on social media. You can see other media appearances I've done. Or go to the resources page and download that list of questions or use some of the other great free resources available to you. All of that at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Mark, what would you say is the top skill that you have that has fared you well in your career? That's a toss-up between analytical thinking and networking. Hmm. And the two together matter because I have... I went to MIT, I'm a hardcore STEM nerd, but my network has given me a diversity of thoughts and ideas of people with different skill sets and knowledge that has allowed me to apply my analytical thinking into all these different areas. Okay, two-part question here. How do you get better at analytical thinking and how do you get better at networking? At analytical thinking, it is practice, practice, practice. I did because when I grew up, I loved doing math problems and logic problems. And then in school, I studied physics and computer science and cryptography. Doing problem solving, doing basic logic puzzles, doing Sudoku will probably help you a little bit. Work through analytical problems with others. There are, I'm sure, books and online courses that can help you improve your thinking as well. But this approach is very much learn, apply, and practice. When it comes to networking, for most people is a mindset shift because most people hate networking. We're used to those people who they do the meaningless small talk or they're just collecting cards and they're trying to use you and we hate that. For networking, you need to think about two things. First, everyone is someone interesting and I want to meet everyone and find that interesting thing. And second, think, how can I help you? Because when you go in with that mentality, not about what can you do for me, what can I get from you, but think about how can I help you, you are setting yourself off on the right type of relationship building and networking is ultimately about relationships.
I, I love that point because when you are doing the whole card swapping thing, sometimes you meet people and you think, uh, you know, this is no use to me. I'm, I'm never going to contact that person. What you're saying is every, every connection is valuable. A hundred percent, because you never know when that person down the road might do something different. People who met me 15 years ago said, that's Mark. He's a CTO. He is all about, uh, all about software. In fact, someone came to me recently and she said, hey, listen, I'm thinking of doing a book. Do you know anything about it? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I've written my own book and I can tell you all about the publishing industry. I introduced her to her editor and I introduced her to you and got Valerie on your podcast earlier. By my resume, and certainly 15 years ago, I didn't look like someone who knew anything about books or book-related activities, but you never know where someone can wind up. And remember as well, what someone brings to the network is not just their skills, but everyone in their network. This feels like a totally overdue question at this point of the interview, but I'm going to ask it anyway, Mark. How on earth did you go from MIT to the career toolkit? That seems like such a handbrake turn. And this is a great example how I had a career plan, but I adjusted when opportunities came up. Because I started out as a software engineer, and I said, well, I want to be a CTO, a chief technology officer. Okay, to do that, I looked and said, what do I need to do to get that job down the road in 10, 15 years? Well, I didn't just need to know how to code. I also had to have leadership skills and know how to hire people, have strong communication skills and know how to negotiate. I said, wow, all these skills I never learned. So I began to develop them in myself. In doing so, I realized the skills are not just for executives. They really help everyone. So I began to train up my team. And then I heard through a friend, MIT had gotten similar feedback. Companies were saying to MIT, these are the skills we want to see in people, but we can't find them. Not just in your students, we can't find them anywhere. So MIT wanted to create a program to train our students with these skills. I heard about it, reached out and said, hey, I hear you're working on this. You know, I've been developing programs to train my employees. Can I be of help? I said, yes, sure, please. So I just volunteered. I said, here's some content we talked about. I helped create the first content. And then MIT asked me to help teach. I've now been teaching there 20 years. And when I thought I was writing up notes for the class, as those notes went from 20 pages to over 200, I realized this is a book. So it was never part of my plan 15 years ago. But as I had the opportunity to teach at MIT, I said, let me do this and see where it goes. And then, oh, I think I can create a book and see where that goes. So I've adjusted my plan as it goes. And then what's next? What's the next stage in your plan? Right now, I am trying to find the balance between being a fractional CTO and building different tech startup companies with also doing more with the book and particularly public speaking, again, via to companies and conferences to come speak trying to find that right balance and possibly doing another book down the road. Uh, there's also an app that I built. It's a free app that goes with the book. And so we're looking at taking that app and creating a white label version for other authors. And this goes to another aspect. Media itself is going to change the way we consume content. In fact, books themselves, I think people are going to stop saying, I just want a book that I read cover to cover. And what I did with the app is create a non-linear way to engage with the content of the book. I think we're going to see more things like this in the future. I didn't plan to do that either. I created the app just to support the book and then recognize there's a larger opportunity here. And so now we're adding that to the career plan as well. So fractional CTO work, speaking, book-related stuff, and the app. 
we'll keep me in the loop with it all, Mark. But uh, in the meantime, it's been an absolute blast to chat to you today. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to speak to Mark there. And my main takeaway for today is that your career is your big life project. So don't just wing it. If you're not happy right now in your job, only move on if you have something to land into which serves your long-term objectives. As we think more about work-life balance and job satisfaction, make sure your job is a good fit for your life, not the other way around. And also, don't be afraid to switch up the script if something better comes along. Nothing is set in stone. If you like what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. And if you'd like to jump on the show with me, drop me an email on jacob at journalism.co.uk. But that's all we have time for today. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.